we're going to talk about men and marriage and what the Bible says about that, and we're going to get right into it. But let's pray first, and then we'll open our scriptures to Ephesians. Lord, uh, we thank you for giving us the gift of marriage, of relationships. We thank you for uh, creating roles uh, and different people like men and women, and uh, and we just thank you for the way that as a, as that in relationship with each other we complement each other, we support each other, and that no one has to live this life alone. Um, God, we just thank you for our church community in that way, and ask that you would speak to us through your word this morning. Amen. All right. Um, so today we're going to talk about men. It's not just for the men. So if you're a woman, it's m- today um, your role is not just to elbow the man beside you. Um, we're going to talk about when you talk about the role of men. It, it involves women, especially when you're in a marriage, because generally you get one of each. And uh, so if the man is in his role, the woman will be in her role. We're going to talk about woman in marriage next week. So if you like calling people sexist, come next week. It'll be a good time for you. I'll give you lots of fodder to call me sexist. And uh, I'll read the Bible to you. You can call Jesus sexist. Have a, you'll have a, it'll be a feminist pep, like party here. So um, we're going to, I'm just going to read this though, and we're going to get into it. There's a little bit of uh, debate on some of this stuff, and we're just going to jump in the middle and get as awkward as we can, all right? Um, This is uh, Ephesians chapter 5. If you have a Bible or you open in your app, we'll put it on the screen for you in the middle of this. And we're going to break it into a few chunks and talk about these things, all right? Let's get at it. Uh, Verse 22 says, well, I'm going to read the whole thing first, all right? And then we'll get at the individual bits. 22 to 33. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, Let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. It begins like this in uh, verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And there is a submission right off the bat, which if you're not the kind of person that likes to submit to anybody, this is a great scripture today. Um, It describes, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. In a church like ours, Jesus, if we had an organizational chart, Jesus would be at the, ch- at the top. We haven't got around to making that. We're only three years in. Um, <laughs> but um, Jesus has the final say on things. If we're wondering on something, we're wondering what Jesus has to say about that. If we're wondering about how to do something, we're wondering how Jesus did those things. Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Jesus is the head of the church. In the same way, 
The husband is the head of the wife. Now, that gets complicated, doesn't it? This is not what you probably wrote in your Valentine's card. It's my joy to be in charge of you, right? Um, Because we can take this and you can actually run with it. What I want you to see, because we're talking to men this week, is that this is an incredible responsibility that's just been handed to you. There's no qualifier in her for good husbands are the head of their wives. Because some husbands are terrible husbands. Terrible husbands are the head of their wife in the same way that Christ is the head of the church. That's terrible. Isn't it? Don't nod your head because you'll be saying your husband's terrible. But uh, there's no qualifier. There's no like that once the husband earns it, then he can be the head. It's just given. It's just God says, here, husbands, there you go. And so you have this authority or this responsibility, if you're a husband, that you haven't earned, that you don't deserve, that you have no right to, and yet God's just handed it over. And if you remember when you first started as a husband, most husbands had no idea how to be a husband when it started. They just really liked this pretty girl and liked kissing her right? And so I'm going to pick you forever. What does it mean? Like, no, there were no stories online. Well, I told my wife that I'd like her to submit to me for the rest of her life, right? Um, It is just not, I did a wedding once and they said I could do any little sermon I wanted, but I can't talk about this. And I was like, wow, that's so, you like the whole Bible except part of it. (laughs) That's an interesting outlook on life. Um, We had some good conversations about that in that wedding. But, But when we look at this, husbands, I don't want you to all of a sudden feel good about this. It doesn't mean that you're fantastic. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden you're something great. What it means is you've been given a role. You have something And it really is an image of Christ being the head of the church. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit to their husbands in everything. We make that conscious choice over and over as a church, or as the church on earth, like in a universal sense, to submit to Christ. Not all churches choose that. Some churches will say, well, Jesus' words, like this passage, are kind of difficult to swallow. And so we're not going to submit And in a way, they divorce themselves from the gospel, or divorce themselves from the from the Christianity, and they become this separate thing. They can still use the word church, but they aren't anything near what God is referring to when God refers to a church. And so we begin with this submission role, which is just this wild and crazy thing, because I don't know a husband who deserves this. I don't know a husband who looks at his wife and says, uh, sorry, I don't know a good husband who looks at his wife and says, you're so lucky you get to submit to me. You know, I don't know a husband who says, I am probably as good as it gets when it comes to being a husband. Most husbands walk around in a bit of a state of confusion because they have no idea what it means to be a husband. And they're dependent on their wife to teach them that. Right? (laughs) And some wives are good teachers, and they end up with good husbands. And some wives are terrible teachers, and they end up with terrible husbands. Uh, We talked about this last week. If you want to, you can go and listen to it online. Um, 
It goes into like this. Husbands then, here's how we do this. Here's how we lead our wives. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, uh, so that he might present the church to himself. So this is so that Christ might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Husbands lead their wives by giving themselves up for her. Husbands, it is so easy to submit to somebody who gives themselves up for the people who are in submission. So easy. We've all had leaders or bosses or coaches who put the people who are under them above their own success, above their own life, prioritize the people they're leading more than themselves. We've all had that. We've all also had teachers or coaches or bosses or managers who do the opposite, who use the people that are, live in submission to them to advance themselves. The first kind, we love to work for. The second kind, we hate to work for. The first kind, we look forward to going to work or going to practice or going to class and submitting because we know that this person prioritizes us. The second kind, we're trying to protect ourselves in this terrible situation because we know we're being taken advantage of and used. We've been through these situations and we've seen marriages that look like both as well. Husbands, you're to give up yourself for the benefit of your wife. Husbands are responsible to sanctify their wives. Christ gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her. This means, husbands, you have a responsibility in the sanctification of your wife. Here's what, so you know, sanctification is like a, a process that happens of becoming more Christ-like after salvation. Salvation is that moment where you turn uh, from depending on yourself to putting your full trust in Jesus. He forgives your sins. You live a new full life like the Bible describes, John 10.10, 10, places like that. Sanctification then is that lifelong process of going, that you go through where you become more like Jesus. If you have a wife... You're responsible for your own sanctification and you're responsible for her sanctification. You carry that responsibility. Your wife's spiritual growth is your responsibility. Now ultimately, when she stands before God on the judgment day, you don't get to speak for her salvation. And wives, you get to choose sanctification or salvation. You get to choose these things or not choose these things. But husbands can create an environment in the home that is productive for salvation and sanctification or that is harmful against those things. You can create an environment for that. You can't make decisions for your wife, obviously. Everybody stands on their own before Christ. Salvation is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You don't get to get to heaven and say, Well, I don't know you, Jesus. But I have these friends that do, and I'd like to hang out with them. So when you get there, wives, you don't get to say, well, I was a terrible wife, but my husband sure did try hard. Can I come in anyways? Nope, it's hell for you. All right? That's how Jesus says it. <laughs> Jesus has no feelings on that day. Um, <laughs> I don't, that's not in the Bible. I shouldn't have said that. 
You sanct- you're responsible for her sanctification. Jesus does this. It says, having cleansed her by the washing with water, uh, of water with the word, so that he may present her, the church to himself. This is where this kind of falls apart and some men get in trouble. As a man, you're responsible someday to present your wife to Christ. Christ is responsible to present his wife, uh, the bride, the church, to himself. So you're not Christ. This is an important thing to notice, husbands. <laughs> you are not developing your wife for your approval. You are working for the development of your wife for Jesus' approval. The ultimate authority in your home is not the man. It is not the husband. It is God. It is Jesus. As Jesus is the head of the church, so we're a metaphor of, we're an image of this gospel headship that Christ carries over the church. But the man is not the authority. The man does not get to carry the ultimate responsibility. Jesus carries that. And so men work for the development of the sanctification of their wife through the word of God, through the scriptures, to present her to Christ. Not to present her to yourself. The ultimate judge is not a husband. The ultimate judge is God. And so husbands, if you're going to work for the sanctification of your wife through the word, you might need to know the word. I've I've been pastoring for years. And I see families where the, the spiritual leaders of the home are on fire teenage Christians. I've seen that over and over again. Where the parents have said, yeah, I did that whole excited for Jesus thing, now I'm sitting back. And the kid is taking risks. The young people are following God into, into weird situations or having impact for the kingdom. And we have parents who've been Christians for 20 or 30 years who think Christianity means you get calmer as you get older. It should be in the church where the old, the seniors, should be doing all of the crazy stuff. If you've been a Christian 40 years, and we've got Christian teenagers who've been a Christian for three or four years, who are taking more risk for the gospel, who are being more bold in their faith, how, that's nuts. That's, that's someone who's been a Christian for, who's known God for three or four years, shaming someone who's known God for 30 or 40 years? If God has been faithful to you for that long, then you should be able to put a significant amount of trust in Him. I understand you probably can't sleep on an air mattress. You probably can't do the things that the teenagers are doing. I can't, and I prefer not to. (laughs) When I think about going to Umbubatu, I'm thinking sore back, right? I'm thinking long plane ride. (laughs) Young people think... Right, right? But when we're talking about risk, if you've known God for a long time, you should be able to carry more faith in Jesus than your children. Children and teenagers should not be the spiritual leaders of the home. But I see fathers who've been given this role. Just delegate it to whoever happens to be the most excited in their home. This isn't a role that fathers are to be giving away. This isn't a role that husbands are to be giving away. 
And if you want to sanctify your wife, if you want to lead your family in the word, you need to know the actual word yourself. If your kid is reading the Bible more than you, you've given your role away. If your wife is having more spiritual conversations than you, you've given your role away. That's harsh, and I know you might want to turn this off. Just read your Bible for a while instead. <laughs> like this passage. You carry a responsibility. Husbands, it's your responsibility to find your wife a great church. So check that off the list. You're here. All right? <laughs> but it's your responsibility. You carry that. When we think about the way we, we, when we think about the Grove Church, we think about reaching men. That's what we think about. That's why we're aggressive. That's why we do the things we do. That's why we invest in things like ManFest. Because the vast majority of wives will go to church with their husband. And a lot of husbands won't follow their wives to church. Because God's given a role to husbands. He's given it to them. And we have husbands who are leading their families to NFL Sunday ticket to watch Joe Flacco, right? <laughs> who, this is terrible. And they've given away the spiritual leadership role in their family, just given it away. A role that God gave them. The creator of the universe hands you a gift and you say, does anybody want this? It's terrible. It's tragic. When you look at our... This is where Christianity runs into trouble with our culture. Because if you look in our culture and say... like, If you say someone is a man in our culture, usually it means they're the biggest idiot in the group. Oh, you're the man, right? That means he took the biggest jump and, and took the biggest injury and has the most broken bones. He's a dummy. <laughs> this is okay until you've got a degree. Once you have a degree, it's time to stop that. <laughs> we have the average, like when, when the Bible was written in Jesus' day, you were done by 12 and you started working with dad. Right? Your teenage years was your bar mitzvah. That night. <laughs> Here you go. Now we have this weird extended adolescence that goes from age 10 to age 30. It's true. We have boys who know how to shave, who have mastered Madden on their Xbox and can't get a job. This is what it is. This is a problem because I have a daughter and she's not going to marry a loser. They're going to come over. He's going to talk about, hey, do you want to play Xbox? And the date over. You don't, you don't get to talk to my daughter. My daughter needs someone who knows how to have a job. Right? So I need to develop the next generation. Otherwise, my daughter's going to live with me forever. <laughs> right? There's no one suitable. <laughs> if you have a daughter, you know what I'm saying. If you have a son, you carry a responsibility. This is, this is the way that the world is working. And Christianity stands in contrast to that. Because we believe that men have been given a, a role and a responsibility as a gift from God. And in our culture, 
it is encouraged and rewarded to hand that off, to give it away, to say, why don't you be the responsible one? I'm going to go in my man cave. Why don't you work a second job so that I can play more video games? So I can drive a motorcycle? All of this in our culture ends up with the men giving up their roles so that they can act like boys longer. We have things like midlife crisis. Midlife crisis has got to be the most confusing thing to God. <laughs> I'm old, but I wish I was young. Why? It's because you don't remember what it was like to be young, right? You're like, oh, I want to act young and not have zits. That's what you want. Being young is actually terrible. You just forget all the terrible parts. You forget how awkward it was. And then you walk around in your midlife crisis and everybody else notices how awkward it is when you show your chest hair and wear those chains. It, right? It's awkward for everyone else and you don't notice. Just like middle school. All right? Husbands, it's your responsibility to find a great church. It's your responsibility to get your family into a life group. That's your responsibility. That's been given to you. To make sure your kids are in uh, learning environments that help them follow the Lord. Husbands, it's your responsibility to talk to the Sunday school teachers and say, how can I support what's going on here? It's your responsibility to make sure your kids are connected when they get to middle school and high school to other Christian kids. Because that's going to develop their faith. It just is. It's your responsibility to find that money to get your kids to acquire the fire. Sell your stupid collection of whatever it is you collect so your kid can go to camp in the summer and learn about their faith and grow because camps are developmental jackpots for kids following the Lord. It's your responsibility. And it's not something that I'm preaching because, hey, you've got to be a bigger man. I'm saying God's given you this as a gift. God's given you the opportunity to develop a legacy. To say three or four generations from now, I'm that grandpa that they talk about. I'm that man who turned this family in the path of following the Lord. So many men are acting like boys in our culture and they're thinking about how much fun can I squeeze out of this 75 years. And the gift that God's willing to give to men is this legacy that lives on. Long after I'm dead, there will be Carmichael's who follow the Lord because I've pushed this family in the right direction. I can't control them, but I can create an environment in my home conducive to the sanctification of my wife and my family. Husbands, uh, send your wives to things like Chickapalooza. It's not even time for Chickapalooza, so this isn't an ad. But really, your wife's like, I'm not sure. No, I'm sure. I'm paying for that thing. You're going. Get a second job. Sell your stupid stuff. All right? Whatever it is your hobby is, it's stupid. When you get to heaven, nobody cares how good of a shot you were. Nobody. Well, maybe the guy who you brought to, with you. But... <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but if you're there with him, he's a good shot too. So uh, there is this... Uh, someone just got that. But, uh, <laughs> but if, you're, 
you need to understand that investing in temporal things is a waste when it comes to the sanctification of your wife, which is a responsibility that God has given you to present your wife to Christ. Listen to this. These are just regular stats. Couples that go to church together are 35% less likely to get divorced. Couples in the same denomination, like the same style of church, report 42 time, they're 42% more likely to be very happy in their marriage. Uh, couples who have different religious backgrounds, so when someone who follows Jesus marries someone who doesn't follow Jesus, are 120% more likely to divorce. 120%. So if you aren't married, and you're a young man or a young woman, and you want to be happy in your marriage, you marry someone who loves Jesus the way that you love Jesus. The Bible teaches us this. And it's not because it's a rule. It's because God wants you to actually enjoy your life. God wants you to follow Jesus with someone. If you're young and you aren't married, and you're interested in some cute boy, question number one, what do you do with Jesus? That's question number one. My kids aren't old enough to ask that question yet. They just blush. <laughs> it's kind of fun. <laughs> it's when the blushing stops that I need to start worrying. <laughs> but there is this kind of there is this kind of open dating thing that it's a weird thing. This is why we won't get rid of youth group. This is why we need things like college groups. Because I want them to marry each other. If you're here, that's probably awkward for you. If you go to our high school group, the reason I support a high school group is because I want you to marry one of them. And if none of them are good enough, you need to go to Bible college for a year. And, you know? And if that doesn't work, go for all four, okay? <laughs> it's true. Because my daughter's going to bring home some guy who can't lead her to Jesus... And it's going to get ugly in a hurry. Because this is the number one question. I don't even care what he looks like. Do you serve Jesus? Because I need someone who can create an environment for the sanctification of his wife. Because that's the legacy that we're carrying out in the Carmichael home. So the husband acts kind of as the Christ. But the metaphor falls apart because he is not Christ. So you can't follow this metaphor forever because you're, also, you're not just developing your wife for the presentation to yourself, you're developing her for the presentation to Jesus. This is why headship and submission isn't belittling supervision of your wife. We experience, and what we sang about this morning, was an incredible amount of freedom and joy because we live in submission to Jesus. And a wife who lives in submission to her husband reports incredible amounts of freedom and joy because she knows that she lives in an environment conducive to her sanctification, to her following the Lord. She lives in a, in a way that she knows there's someone who's laying down his life for her. Your wife should need Jesus more than she needs you. Just like you need Jesus more than you need your wife. If God is the ultimate authority and not the husband, 
then God is the one that the husband and wife depend on more, even more, than each other. And if you can imagine being married, some of you have been married for a long time, if you can, and some of you haven't, if you can imagine being married for a long time, if you're not married, imagine that you've lived with this person for 20, 30, 40 years. It is hard to imagine not being together. But that feeling should be even more so felt for Jesus, for Christ. I can't imagine living my life without Jesus because I'm more dependent on Jesus than I am dependent on my wife. My kids need to be more dependent on Jesus than they are dependent on me. Same with my wife, same with myself. Because Jesus is the authority, we are just playing roles that image this authority. Now, this is how this section ends. Verse 31, 32, 33 says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This union of a man to his wife is a mystery, and yet it refers to the same mystery of the church submitting to Christ. And the union we feel of living for Christ, but also living with Christ. We don't live separately from Christ in order to impress Christ. The only way we're able to live for Jesus is if we live in Jesus and through Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit. You see, when uh, Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians, the submission of the wife was the cultural norm. When he says, wives, submit your husbands, no one was as surprised as, as the way people are surprised in our culture. No one. And yet Paul while he like lives within the bounds of culture he pushes it even further to a mutual submission to a husband who gives up his whole life for his wife he affirms the culture and yet subverts the culture all in the same step without giving any qualifications husbands you lay down your life for your wife even when she's acting crazy. Don't laugh, she's here. If she's not, go ahead. <laughs> even when life isn't going that well. Even when your marriage is falling apart. This is why we have such a difficult time finding biblical men in our wider culture. Because being a man in a biblical way, might be the most challenging thing you'll face in your life. It really will. Because it's all-encompassing. You don't check out at the end of the day. It's every day, all the time. The day that you picked a wife, you picked the hardest job, according to the Bible, to lead her and carry responsibility for people who you don't get to make the decision for. Some of us have uh, children who don't follow Jesus. And if you don't have that, you don't know what that burden's like. 
Some of us have uh, husbands or wives who don't follow Jesus, who maybe did and now don't. And you don't know what that burden is like. I don't know what that burden is like. It's incredible. And we choose these things. And we walk into these relationships. It's why when you go to a marriage, from this point on in your life, it will be the most serious thing. You will be like, do they know what they're signing up for? Because you don't, you don't know what's going to happen. Remember when you got married, if you're married? It was really happy, probably. You had no idea you were going to walk through the trials that you walked through. No idea. It's almost like we should bring wedding presents because we know this is going to be hard. <laughs> because we know at least one of those two and we didn't want to marry them. <laughs> right? <laughs> but there is this kind of... You don't want to say that, but it's true. All right? <laughs> if they were really that fantastic, wouldn't you have stood up at the wedding and been like, hey, why don't you choose me? <laughs> And then write a Taylor Swift song about it. But <laughs> when we see people walking into this, when we see a man walking into this, if he is a Christian, if he's a follower of Jesus, we understand he's choosing the hardest profession that exists on our planet in history. Creating an environment of sanctification for his family. Being responsible for his home. And this isn't something that I'm demanding or that I'm saying you've got to work harder. I'm saying God's giving you a gift. God's just said, here, I want to give you responsibility. I don't know if you remember the first time, if you had a dad growing up or uh, maybe with your mom, the first time they gave you responsibility. I still remember the first time I was given, I'm going to say the prayer at Thanksgiving. I was young and we had Catholics in our family and so I was going to condemn them in my prayer and thankfully my dad talked me off that cliff but he was much more theologically developed than my seven-year-old self but yeah, oh, I might have been 12 then it's all a blur but when, we, when you think about that first time you're given responsibility you don't deserve it you haven't earned it maybe you've shown like, that you have potential and when God, men, when God gives you this responsibility, it's because he sees potential in you. God looks at the men in this room and says, I know what you can do. And I know who you can be in me, in God. And so God gives you this. And so men, we take responsibility for ourselves. We take responsibility for our spouses. We take res the responsibility for our families, for our schools, for our companies, for our church, for our city. The Christian man doesn't look for others or for organizations or for some kind of someone else to take responsibility. For the th he looks for responsibility. He looks for things to be responsible for. Christian men don't take a step back. They don't pattern their life in a way that can cover themselves. They put themselves out there and they take responsibility. And they say, 
I am going to lead this. I am going to step into the role that God is handing me. And I'm going to be terrible at it. And so I need... This is why we ask our wives to teach us to be better husbands. Because we, we aren't qualified to lead. But in Christ, we've been given this. And so in Christ, and with dependence on Christ, we're going to do this. And if you're a wife, you carry today, if the men are developing these these godly examples of what it means to lead our family, wives, you get to carry, and we're going to talk more about what it means to be a wife next week. <laughs> I'm telling you in advance, and you still better show up. If it's just like a sea of men next week, we're coming over. Um, <laughs> but when, if the men are looking to themselves and not to others to carry their responsibility, they need, they need someone who's praying for them. They need somebody who is loving to submit, who respects their husband. And this does not mean you're being belittled. This does not mean you're being supervised. You carry the responsibility for yourself. But a gift has been given to the men by God. And if wives, you're pulling some kind of fun feminist thing, then you're taking a gift that God's intended for your husband. And this doesn't mean husbands need to do everything. This doesn't mean husbands should be workaholics. This means husbands, you sit down with your wife and you say, I'm supposed to be a leader, and I have a feeling that I'm not perfect. And then you wait while your wife tries to calm down, <laughs> tries to stop laughing. <laughs> but I have a feeling I'm not perfect but I'd like to be everything that God sees that I could be. And as a wife, you get to kind of play referee. If you read the Real Marriage book, uh, Driscoll, who wrote the book, Mark Driscoll actually says to buy your wife a referee jersey <laughs> and let her wear it in your bedroom. He says it probably looks cute. Plus, it's like a symbol to let you know the person who gets to evaluate your leadership is the person who you're leading. The leader doesn't get to say, I'm a good leader because I say I'm a good leader. Only Christ gets to say that. You don't get to determine, I'm a good husband and I'm a good father because I say I'm a good husband and I'm a good father. What about asking? What about saying, how do I love you better? How do I love you in a way that you actually respond to? What if you sat down with your wife and said, do you have a Bible that makes sense to you? Because I'm responsible for creating an environment of sanctification, I want to make sure my wife has a scripture that she can read. I want to make sure that in my home, there are ways to grow spiritually. Some of you husbands need to stop at Walmart on the way home and buy a bookshelf and then put some Bibles on it and put some like Bible tools like concordances Bible atlases. You can buy this stuff cheap and used on Amazon. You can get it. And you need to set that up in your home and then have a family meeting and say, this is here, everybody, because I'm creating an environment for sanctification. You look at your kids and you say, how old are you? 
And then you go to the Christian bookstore in town and say, this is how old my kid is. You shouldn't have to ask. (laughs) But I know some of you. (laughs) So you find out where your kid's at developmentally. You go down to the local Christian bookstore and you say, this is how old my kid is. I need a Bible that they can read. And then you sit down and you read that thing with them. You sanctify your kid in the Word. You don't tell them that you're learning right beside them because you've never heard of an Old and New Testament. You get in that thing and you develop an environment of sanctification in your home. Not because James said to, but because God has given you an opportunity to do so. God has said, here, if you want to, you can have this. And you have the opportunity to delegate that gift off maybe to someone in your family, maybe to a youth leader or a Sunday school teacher. Or you have the opportunity to live into something that God actually sees in you. This is my final word. Men, when God looks at you, He looks at an incredibly strong army of husbands and fathers or future husbands and fathers and grandfathers and church and city leaders. This is what God sees. When you look in the mirror, you just see you. I just see me. And what God sees is incredible. What God sees is you presenting your family, you presenting your church to Christ, pure and spotless, A family who knows him, who's been given, at least been given the opportunity to know God. You don't get to carry the responsibility for their decision. But God has given you a gift because he knows that you can. Not because it's hard or not because you probably need some help. Because you can. He's given you this because you are the man for this job. He doesn't have a plan B for your wife's sanctification. He doesn't have a plan B for creating an environment in your home. He has you. And he's given you a home because you can do this. I want to pray for the men. So let's stand. Wives, if you're here and your husband's here uh, and you want to put your hand on him while we pray for him, that's totally kosher. Everyone's going to have their eyes closed. If you men, you want to hold hands, that's cool. When we raise our hands in worship, before we pray, we raise our hands because we're saying, it's a, it's a, it looks like surrender, doesn't it? This is why a lot of men have a hard time with this. Or they're six and a half feet tall and when they raise their hands, they know nobody can see the screen. But when we raise our hands, it's saying, I'm here and I'm singing and I'm worshiping God, but I know I can't do this without it. And so husbands, we're going to pray, but I'm going to invite you to actually raise a hand to actually say, Lord, I can't do this without you. To actually say that this is my role. So let's pray. Husbands, if you want to raise your hand or raise your hands, it's everybody's praying, nobody's looking at screens. God, as a man in this room and as men in this room 
We surrender ourselves to you. And we call on your Holy Spirit to empower the current and future husbands, dads, grandpas, uncles, church leaders, community leaders. And we call on you to empower us to succeed, to have an impact, to have an effect in the role that you've just handed over to us. God, we raise our hands because we surrender, because we know we are not qualified, because we know we cannot do this on our own. And so we pray that the very Spirit of God who breathes life, who gives leadership and guidance, who is the power agent in the Trinity, to empower the men of our church to follow you. Give us the opportunity to to sanctify our wives, to sanctify our families. God, some husbands who are standing here with their hands up are walking through incredibly difficult times right now. Times of looking for employment. Times of trying to repair years of damage in in relationships. Sometimes in marriages, in families. And God, we look at that and we say, nothing short of your grace is going to fix that. And so we hand those things to you this morning. For the wives who are here or the future wives or aunts or grandmas, God, we pray that the woman of our church would know you. That the men of our church would create an environment where people here know Jesus and know that the ultimate authority is not a bunch of men who are fallen, who will continue to fail, who will just stumble through life trying to follow you. But may we be a church who knows that Jesus leads, who knows that Jesus is the authority, and may we follow you into even greater adventures than we've seen already. By your grace, Lord. Amen.